So last week he talked about chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. And a brief, brief summary of that would be that the gospel that Jesus Christ would be the outcome, the final outcome of all of our situations, of all of our circumstances. No matter what it looks like from the outside, but that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. And he talked about this perspective that Paul had, this perspective that to us might look like he was a little bit delusional. He didn't really have a grasp on what was going on in his life or the world around him. And I think as we move forward today, he's going to give us perspective on why he has that perspective. He's going to talk about his definition of life. And I think it's that definition of life and what Paul's going to teach us today and what he describes that's behind him having that perspective that doesn't seem to make sense. And so he's defining life. And so before we talk about his definition, what is it that we're talking about when we say life? Because I might say life and we all have very different understanding of what am I talking about, what does that mean? But for this passage, in this context, we're talking about life in the flesh. This life that we're experiencing right now. Everybody that's in here, as long as you're breathing, oxygen in and carbon dioxide out, we're experiencing life. That's what we have right now. It's natural. Right? Biologically, we are all organisms. We've been created. We have life. We have these experiences. We can all physically experience this world around us. We can touch, we can taste, we can see, we can smell, we can hear. All of those senses we get to experience in this life. And this life is, is, is temporal. There, there was a beginning to it, right? A conception, a birth, and then there's an end. There's death. That's this physical life from beginning to end. And that's what he's talking about when he's giving this definition of life. And then lastly in life, we know that life changes. Circumstances change. Cir- uh, situations change. The who, the what, the where, the when. It's always changing for all of us. That's what life is. Life is always changing. And that experience that we have. And so with that in mind, that's what we're talking about when I say life. And when I say Paul is defining what life is. When he gives a definition, he is asking, or he's telling us, what is the priority of priorities in that life? What is the first thing before all other things? How do you see everything else when you look at life, when you look at from birth to death, when you look at all of these experiences, all of your circumstances, what's the priority of priority? How do you see that? What is it that drives your perspective? More specifically, what do you live for? What can't you live without? I think that's a better way to ask it. And I came back from vacation, right? It was a strange week of not doing a lot, you know, just crawling out of bed, eating, going to the beach, eating, going back to the beach, eating, playing games, eating, right? It was a nice week. 
And then I came back. And I've been looking so forward to that time to have this rest with our family and, and to have this period, this break, kind of to step out and to just be restored and to be renewed and to have this time. And I came back and I'm like, Tuesday morning, I got to go to work. Wednesday, school started. By Thursday, I'm like, what are we doing here? What's the point and what is next? I need something. Like, what, what am I living for? Like, what's next? What's the next event? What's the next thing that we're going to do? Like, there's got to be something more. And I realized I have been kind of living for, I have been defining my life. Like, I can't wait to get to vacation. I can't wait to have that experience. And so much of my growing up, I remember, and it was put into me, if we can just make it to this point, if we can just make it to this thing, right? That's what my dad would tell me. If we could get around the corner and we'll be at this or we'll have this experience, I was always living for the next thing. So that's me. I want to hear from you. It's up on the screen. What do you live for or what can't you live without? So I'm going to write in English. Melanie's going to write in Spanish. Alright, so the first, my rules are, right now we're giving Monday through Saturday answers. Not Sunday answers, okay? Monday through Saturday, does that make sense? Not Sunday school, not Sunday morning answers, Monday through Saturday. We'll get to the Sunday morning answers. Right now, Monday through Saturday, what is it that you live for or can't live without? Nima, what'd you say? 5 p.m. 5 p.m. <laughs> so rest. What else? Family. That's noble. Absolutely. So yeah, she says so when Elvis gets home that he can take care of the kids. <laughs> So she can have her 5 p.m. rest. <laughs> What's that? Sports. Sports. Or we'll say ESPN time on your couch for some certain people. <laughs> huh? Food. I don't know anything about that. Coffee. Coffee. That's a real, a real thing. <laughs> Money. Money. What'd you say, guys? Dinero. I still didn't hear. Payday. Oh. So we want Friday at 5 p.m. to get our payday. Relationships. Anything else? That's it? Laughter for enjoyment? Oh, that's that's one. Uh, Let's say, um, what about like uh, recreation? Like, right? You know, like. Anything else? 
the beach, <laughs> recreation. That comes from a guy from Can- or Kansas City. A swimming pool, recreation, beach. All right, you guys ready? Sunday morning. God, Jesus, the Bible. Anything else? Prayer. Prayer. I knew you guys were good Christians. You could come up. <laughs> How about, I'm just looking at things that I thought through. Maybe career status, right? To do well at your job or to progress at your job. But eventually, right? When I guys let you, we got we got down to we got down to God. We got down to to Jesus. We got down to the gospel. On Sunday morning, that's pretty clear. I want you to look at what Paul says in the very middle of his passage. Look at verse 21. All right, this is his definition of life. I wanted us to think through it, but this is what Paul says, and then we're going to seek to understand that. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Like, well, how do we say that at Livingstone? Well, we say we want to be gospel-driven, right? That the gospel, right, that the person and the work of Jesus Christ is behind everything that we do. But I think more importantly, behind what we do, and I think the point that Paul is making here is that it's behind everything that we think and how we interpret the world around us. It's not just that we end up doing these things, but because we believe this, because we know that the gospel is true, he says, therefore, I rejoice. He says, I I see the reality of this life different than others about me because I've defined life as Jesus Christ. That's first. That's foremost. That's my priority. And so everything that I do is because of what I know, is because of what I think, is because of the gospel is true. And because the gospel is true, then I'm going to respond. Then I'm going to act, then I'm going to behave, then I'm going to do certain things. But his response is ultimately based on his perspective. What he does is based off of what he truly, really believes. So what does it actually mean that Jesus will be our life? For Jesus to be the priority of priorities as we live this life right now in the flesh from birth to death through all of our experiences, through all of our circumstances, through all of our situations, what would it mean that Jesus would be our life? That He would be the priority? That we would see everything through that filter first. Not with our normal eyes, not with our natural eyes, not with these senses, but I am looking at it as Christ would look at it. I'm going to look at it through His perspective. And that's what he explains here. That verse, 
Verse 21, right in the middle. He's talking about, he's explaining what he just said, and he is giving us information about what he's, what he's going to say after. And so we're going to read through this in its entirety now. With that in mind, Paul is describing life, what this physical life that we're experiencing now, what it looks like for Jesus Christ to be our life. So I will read verse 19 through 26 in English, and then Haiti will read it in Spanish. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. All right, so the big idea from this. When our life is defined by Christ, we are transformed through faithful living, and others are transformed through fruitful labor. We're going to look at the transformation that occurs in us and that occurs in others as we live faithfully and then as we labor fruitfully. Okay, those are the two things that we're going to look at this morning. So first, through faithful living. As uh, Elvis talked about last week, and I will confirm, Paul is not delusional. Okay. He, he's seeing things in a way that, that require more than just his natural eyes and his natural experience to understand what he's in and understand what's happening. He's looking at it spiritually. I mean, Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard. His church planning career is over. He's facing potential execution. And his response, look at verse 19. This will turn out for my deliverance. And I read that and I'm like, well, does that mean that Paul is thinking that his situation is going to change? He's going to be freed. Everything's going to go well. God's going to take this situation that appears dark and appears like it's not going to work out and God's going to change the situation. And I think that word deliverance starts to push us down that path. And we start to think that. Maybe that's what he's saying. But the actual word there is the same word that we use over and over again in Scripture for salvation. It's the only time it's ever translated in that. And I don't think it's necessarily a great translation because Paul is saying, this is going to lead to my salvation. This situation, this circumstance. He's saying, not that he's going to be released from prison. Not that God is going to change his circumstances. 
but that God is going to change him. He's saying, this is going to work out for my salvation, for my progress in the faith, for my walk with Jesus Christ. This, walking through this situation, is going to make me more like Jesus Christ. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to walk through my salvation. He's not saying... God has spoken to me and I'm going to be released from prison and everything's going to turn out great and everything's going to be happy, go lucky. He's saying, this very situation that I just described, that is a process that I'm going through that's leading and taking me through my salvation. And remember we talked about the salvation, right? That there's a, there's a past tense of salvation. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. If we come to know Jesus Christ immediately, right then, we're free from the penalty of sin. And then there's this future tense of salvation that we're going to be free from the presence of sin. There is going to be a time when we're going to be as His sons and daughters with Jesus Christ and we're going to be free from the presence of sin. We're free from the penalty. We're free from the present. But then there's this present tense of salvation that we're walking through right now where we're being freed from the power of sin in our lives. Slowly, God is changing us and transforming us. And through the Holy Spirit, through His strength, through that power, we're becoming new. We're becoming more like Christ. That's the process we're in. And He's saying, through this experience, through this situation, not that the situation is going to change, but that is actually going to lead to my progress in salvation. I'm going to come more like Christ through this situation. And he says, that's because of what I know. Because I know that. Because I know that God has said that in His Word. Because I know that that's what's going to occur. Not because of the situation, not because of what He's looking at, not because of what He's experiencing, but because of what He knows. He is living with faith through that circumstance. Look in the passage. It says, It is my eager expectation and hope. This is my expectation. This is what I believe. This is what I know. And this is what I'm hoping for. And I'm going to respond accordingly. I'm going to see this situation because of what I know and what I expect because this is going to require faith. I've talked about it before that faith is that we would believe the Word of God and that we would act on it. We would believe this truth and therefore we would act on it regardless of how I feel, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's happening or not happening. Do I believe what God has said and am I going to act accordingly? That's faith. And that's what Paul is doing here. It's my eager expectation. This is my hope. This is what I believe. And so this is how I'm going to see this situation. And having that faith, he says, with full courage. That with full courage. I looked at that word for a long time. Because I don't know that in my daily life, I don't have courage and Christian combined in one sentence. I don't hear it. It's not normal. It's not a description that's given of those who are following Christ that they would have full courage. And so it's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have full courage? And it's not craziness. It's not to be completely crazy. It's that we 
would have the mental strength because of what I know, because of what I believe, I have the strength to remain in a situation or to go into a circumstance or walk through anything that's happening in my life because I know this I can be in this place of danger I can be in this place of fear I can be in this place of difficulty and I'm going to respond because what I know is true not because of what I feel not because of what this looks like to me I can be afraid I can be in danger I can have all of these experiences but I'm going to respond and have full courage because I know what's true and that's how I'm defining life and Paul knows I will not be ashamed he says I will not be ashamed but Jesus will be honored as he lives by faith whether the situation is good whether the situation is bad the situation does not describe if how, how that comes out doesn't, doesn't indicate if Paul is going to honor Christ it doesn't. It doesn't say that anywhere here. He says, I'm going to honor him by this faith, by this full courage, by continuing on. I'm not going to be ashamed. Whether life or death. Whether my physical life continues, whether my physical life ends. Regardless of the situation. So are we living with full courage? Do we have faith? Are we living with faith that, that has full courage? Trent messed with me this week. And he was telling us about stories he was reading in a book called Ordinary Radical. Right? And that, that doesn't make sense. Ordinary and radical. But basically it talks about that as ordinary Christians we should be doing these radical or what appears like to be crazy things. Right? They don't make sense necessarily to the world around us. They don't make sense when we look at the world with just these physical eyes and our experience. But that if we believe the truth, if we're walking by faith, then we would do these things that to the world look radical, to the world look crazy. That we would look delusional like Paul looks delusional. And so I listened to him and uh, yeah, I've read that book. I dismissed it. And then later this week I felt like God saying, are you ready to be delusional? Are you ready to be crazy? And something that Nita and I have been processing for a, a long time as we thought about our, our home and how we want our home to be and how we want to welcome others into our home and how we want to demonstrate that hospitality where others would come into our home and we would treat them as if they're family and that it's open and that, that we want to invite others in. And we've done that and people have lived with us. We've processed through this idea of adoption and we've started with that process and stopped with that process. And, but it's been something that's remained in our heart. And out of the blue, and I'm just sharing with you guys, on Wednesday, this idea of a foreign exchange student came up. And, of course, Nidia is passionate about it. Brit, she calls me at work. Look at this. I just saw this post. My friend on Facebook back from, uh, from high school and their church, and they're doing this. And we'll, what would, Let's do that. I'm like, calm down, calm down. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll process through it. I'll, I'm, I'm glad to think about that, right? That's her response is, let's go, let's go, let's go, I say. Not now, not now, okay? I'll think about it, I'll pray about it. But, but I just called them and the semester's already starting. If we're going to do this, we have to make the decision now and we could have a student by next Friday. I said, okay, okay. I'll pray about it. And I was like, do I want to be delusional? This doesn't make sense right now. Or maybe it makes sense. We've been processing through this for a long time. Like, this is our heart. Like, I've never thought about it this way. And to bring in a, a foreign student to live with us and be family and be a part of us. And, and wow, that would be this amazing evangelical opportunity to share the gospel and to be in our home and to walk with them and, and share life for a semester or two semesters. But, but really, maybe next semester. Because that would be crazy. That would be delusional. He says, what, what, have you, what have you thought about it? And I didn't have any good biblical reasons. It seemed to be in line with what God had been teaching us and what God had been asking us to do. But as we've gone through that process, uh, putting our information on this application of, uh, of this woman coming in our house last night. Okay, this was Wednesday. Then Thursday we did that. Then Friday and Saturday this woman's in our house doing a home inspection. They've already connected Cano or contacted Canoga Park and they're getting the student admitted and she's going to call us on Monday and this could all be a go. But as we've gone through that, I started off pretty much like, this is cool. Right? After she convinced me, usually what happens is Nita gets past and she convinces me. I look at it and I'm looking at it biblically and I'm praying through it. I'm like, let's do this. And then she says, oh, are you sure we want to do this? I'm not sure we want to do this. And I say, no, like, I can't find a reason biblically not to do this. Let's do this. But as we've processed through that, there's been questions come up and valid questions, valid concerns, what that means to do this. And there's been these points of fear. What's that going to be like? There's been these, been these points of, 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 well, that might be dangerous. We don't know this, this individual. We don't know how this is going to turn out. What if it all goes wrong? What, what about my kids? What about how difficult that's going to be to have somebody in our house from another culture, from another country that speaks limited English? And, and, I, and I started to just get bogged down in all of these things, this fear, this difficulty, this potential danger. And I'm reading this this morning again. I'm like, do I want to respond with full courage? This situation may be dangerous. The situation may be, may be difficult. I'm fearful. All those things are real. All those things are true. That is reality of the physical reality of, of, of that situation. But I want to respond with full courage. Are you willing to enter into a situation that you know will require full courage? And some you might, it might be, are you willing to remain in a situation that would require that full courage? That you wouldn't run, that you wouldn't try and avoid it, that you would continue in it. Because you know this truth. I know what God is doing. I trust Him by faith. 
I believe what God has said, and it is a good thing, and this is going to turn out for my salvation. This is going to turn out for my progress in the faith. And it's going to turn out, as we look later, for others' progress in the faith. It might be difficult, it might be hard, the bad things might happen, but God is good, and I can have faith in that. And so I'm going to move forward. Because of the knowledge that we have. That's it. And you may, um, you may listen to that and be like, well, I can't do that. I don't have the, the strength to do that. I hear what you're saying. I shake my head. You know, and that's just, my, that's just one situation, okay? That's not that everybody should go and do this. But like, what is God moving you towards? What is He asking you to do? What, what situation are you in? Think through that. You say, I, I can't do it. And I would say that's true. I would say that's the right perspective to have. That you cannot do that. I would agree with that. And I say Paul would agree with that. It's not natural. Doesn't just naturally happen. It's not organic just that you make these courageous decisions or do these things and continue with faith. Because if you look at the world, if you look at those situations, why would we respond that way? Why is Paul responding this way? But to have that faith, it has to be supernatural. It has to be. It's not a me. It's not about what I'm going to do or what Nidia is going to do or what's going to happen. It has to be that the Spirit of God in moving in us would do that. I can't be a full courage without completely depending on the Spirit of God, on the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says at the very beginning. I skipped over it on purpose. Verse 19. He says, I know that what? Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. This will turn out for my deliverance. I know that through these prayers, spiritual, through the Holy Spirit, spiritual, this is going to turn out. This physical situation is going to be impacted by the spiritual reality of prayer and the Holy Spirit that lives in me. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to occur. Paul knew that he could not maintain this perspective in himself. God had to do that through him. And he was in desperate need for their prayer. He was in desperate need of the Holy Spirit. He tells them that. And I don't think that if we approach Paul, and we had a conversation with Paul, that any time in his life, Paul would have been like, can I ask him, do you, can I pray for you? What, what's going on in your life? What do I need to pray for? Paul would be like, things are pretty good. Yeah, nothing really to pray for. Like that, would that have ever been Paul's response? He knew he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He knew he was dependent on prayer. He was asking for that. That's how he walked. That's how he saw this physical reality with the perspective that he has. He knew that he had to have that. He wouldn't have been silent. So what are we supposed to do with each other? And we've all experienced this. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you? I got it. I'm good. 
It doesn't make sense. It makes natural sense, right? But it doesn't make spiritual sense for us to respond that way, for us to think that way. We're not seeing the reality of the situation if that's our feeling or that's our response. And so this next picture... The boy, the third boy to the right, that's my nephew. That's Elias. Elias and Manuel Garcia. I'm jealous of his name because all my kids have the last name Fuller and it doesn't sound very good. This looks like a lineup. All right? There they are. They don't look very happy. The bars are behind them. Right? Emmanuel and Melanie sent this to us on the, his first day of pre-K. And that's the first thing I thought. Like It looks like he's about to get walked into prison. But in this situation, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on spiritually that Melanie and Emmanuel have processed through. There's a lot going on naturally that they're processing through. What does this mean for, for him to be in school? What does it mean for him to be in school in Canoga Park and in pre-K? What does it mean for him to be in school where he's one of two kids in the classroom that are, tell me the right word, that are dominant English speakers? to think through all those things and what does that mean and what's he going to experience and how is that going to happen and what are the circumstances that come through that and then Melanie she is a certified dual language teacher she has, she was a teacher of teachers in Chicago in her life before kids she knows what happens in the classroom she understands the, what's going on she understands the difficulties the situation she understands the circumstances and what Elias is going to deal with and what he's going to uh, what, what the effect is going to be on him and I'm not saying that this is a one choice a biblical choice or a non-biblical choice this is what they've decided right and that he's in that situation but she's very clear and Emmanuel is very clear we need your prayers because I can see the physical situation and then I, and I start to question the spiritual reality of what we felt like God has shown us and how He's walked us in that. And am I going to continue in this? And I need your prayers and I need the Holy Spirit to continue in what God has shown me that He wants me to do and what God, I believe, has called us to do. Because I keep looking at the physical situation and the circumstances and sometimes my mind starts to go and like, okay, okay, we got it. what are we doing? Let's pull Him out. We've got other options. And again, I'm not talking about the right choice, the wrong choice. I'm talking about remaining where God has you. And saying, no, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on physically that we can see and feel and experience, I'm going to trust God. And we're going to walk through this. And I need the Holy Spirit to continue to give me that perspective. I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent on your prayers. Because I can't think spiritually any different unless there's intervention. So do you need prayer in your life? Are there things that you're doing, things that you're in, that you desperately need the Holy Spirit? That you are dependent on the Holy Spirit for it? Because if we don't, if there's, if there's nothing that's going on in our lives where I'm like, God, you have to show up. God, you have to do this. You have to continue to give me this perspective. I don't know that according to Paul's definition, 
that Christ is our life. Because if Christ is our life, we'd be in this place of dependency on the, on the Holy Spirit. Continue to give me this perspective. Continue to show me what you see, God, so that I can continue despite the circumstances, despite the situation. If living stones, if we're not dependent, if we're not desperate on the Holy Spirit, on prayer for each other, we as a body, we're not living. Our life is not Christ. God needs to change our reality, change our perspective, change our understanding, that we would realize we're completely dependent on God to show us that. So Paul is talking about life and death. He's seeing things in ways that we don't tend to see it day in and day out. I lose that perspective over and over. As quick as I get it, I tend to lose it. But he says, not only will he be transformed, but others will be transformed. He says in verse 23, he's like, I'm trying to make this decision. And I'm hard pressed between the two. I told you guys before, love is not gushy-gushy. He's got to make a choice. It's not an easy decision. It's not a natural decision. He says that I would much rather desire to be with Christ. He says, but based on their need, based on the needs of those, I'm, uh, those that I'm serving, I'm going to continue. I would like for this physical life to be over and I would like to be in my future salvation. But I'm going to continue in this present time. He doesn't say for himself. He says for, for their progress, for their joy in the faith. Because it's more necessary for them. He came down to that choice because of what he believed. Not because of what he felt. He desired to be with Christ. That's far better. But, what does he say? He says, I'm convinced. Because of what I believe, I'm convinced. And this is what I choose. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to put you before me. I'm going to love you. I'm choosing to serve you. So he's being transformed. But then through his labor now, others are being transformed. And I'm like, how come Paul's struggle is between life and death. Like, like how often do you get up in the morning and you're on your way to work and you're dealing with the kids and like, this is not life or death. But sometimes I think we need a life or death experience so that we can have this perspective. Because it doesn't come naturally otherwise. It's just not something we think about in the morning when you're getting the kids ready to school or you're driving to work or you're going to class. And you guys know that Nidia got sick several weeks ago. It was Sunday morning. She passed out twice at the house. She was having a seizure. I get her to the car. We go to the emergency room. And I'm good. I'm good. I'm a medical professional, right? This happens all the time. No problem. We get to the emergency room. We're about to bring her in to do the triage to check her in. And then there's a woman that comes in the emergency room and she begins to vomit blood. And I'm like, this is getting serious now. And then they get my wife inside and she passes out again and she begins to seize right in front of them. They put her on the gurney. They flip her over. I'm helping out. They put the leads on her. They put the machines on her. She comes back too and then all the monitors are going and I, I'm getting scared. 
and Nidia is laying on the gurney and she says she can see the lights going by as we're walking down as we're going to have this test done and she looks up at me and I'm starting to cry and she says I wasn't worried and then I saw you're crying I says this is bad <laughs> like this is serious if Brit is crying and we're this is bad and she starts to think life or death and then she goes to that place she's like oh it could be over right now she's like I can go home she's like but I need to stay and like, what does this look like and what about my family what about the people that we're, we're, we have relationships with all these things and she's having this really spiritual moment right and I'm over there going oh God don't take her what am I going to do without her I can't do this if she's gone, right? I'm completely stuck in this physical perspective of what's going to happen if my wife doesn't make it. And she's over there having this spiritual experience and seeing the reality of the situation. Whew. I'm either going to go be with Jesus or I'm going, to, I'm going to stay and I'm going to continue to labor. I'm thinking about me. And that's not because my wife is super spiritual. It's because the situation put her in that place where that's what she started to think about. It was life or death. And so she had that perspective. That was the way that she saw the situation. And I thought, maybe we just need a near-death experience. And all of us would start to think that way. Okay? I'm not asking God for that, okay? But maybe we'd see life a little bit differently. Maybe we'd see it as Paul sees it. If we dealt with life and death every day. But that's the reality. We are dealing with life and death every day. We have to see that. We have to understand that perspective. We trick ourselves into thinking that we are physical beings. And sometimes we can have a spiritual experience. And one day we're going to you know, be spiritual, right? But in reality, if you step back, if you look at this book and you understand what God is saying, we are spiritual beings, and right now we're having a very temporary physical experience. Okay, It's actually flipped around from how we see and feel every day. That's the reality. Okay, We are spiritual and we are having a brief lifespan of a physical experience. That's it. That's life. That's death. It's over. That's the reality. That's the perspective that Paul had. And what happens is when you have to choose when you have to choose others or yourself because we tend not to choose between heaven and staying right? in our everyday I'm choosing between me or you. I'm choosing between me or my wife. I'm choosing between me and the person that I work with. That's, the, that's where I'm hard pressed every day. Is am I going to choose to love or am I going to choose to take care of myself? Because when you choose to love others, you're going to see what your life is defined by. When you choose to put someone else before yourself, when you labor, okay, when you're doing this fruitful labor that Paul is talking about, and you choose someone else, you're going to very quickly identify all those things that are either have become your life or are competing to be your life that are not Jesus Christ. All right? Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't take care of anyone else. Don't put anyone else first. And you'll never know what it is that you're, that's competing with Christ in your life. Love someone else, and you'll come face to face with those things that you're holding on to, those things that, are, that you defined your life by. I felt it coming home from vacation. 
right? Impressions from the pastor. I didn't want to deal with anybody this week. I got home. I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to people coming in my house. I don't want to go back to meeting with others and talk. Like, can I just be, you know, let me transition easily. Let's be, be about me still and I'll just rest still. And, you know, I'll go prepare my message in my room by myself. It became very clear to me that was my life. That's the perspective I needed to change. That happened because I was faced with a decision to choose to love others. So are we willing to go through that process? Loving and serving, putting others first. So that they can progress in the faith. Are we willing to love each other in that way? Because that's what's going to happen when our life is Christ. Look at the big idea again. When our life is Christ, we're going to be transformed through this faithful living. And others are going to be transformed through fruitful labor as we choose to love. Because behind all this transformation is occurring, right? It's this present tense of salvation. We're being changed. We're being transformed. We're progressing in our salvation. And we're to continue in this process together. Paul says this is for my deliverance. He says this is for their progress and joy in the faith. Transformation is occurring. And I would just tell you guys from this book, reading this, God is not glorified by our circumstances and by our situations. He's glorified by the transformation that occurs in us and that occurs in others. That we would think this and believe this and that Christ will be our life regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. And that we'd be transformed and that others will be transformed and that we become more like Christ. That's how God is glorified. It says when that happens, it gives ample cause in the last verse. Ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And that's the example we have in Christ. As I finish, think about that. Think about Jesus. Think about His situation. Think about His circumstances. He came. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was tried. He was executed on the cross. He was treated as a criminal and discarded. That's the circumstance. That's the situation. God did not remove him from the cross. God did not take him out of that situation. But through that process, as he went through that circumstance, what happened? He became transformed. And then he... On the cross, in this enduring, this faithful courage, right? He knew what was right. He continued. He believed what God had told them. And he continued on by faith. And he hung there for us. And he died for us. And he says, I'm going to choose you for your progress, for your joy. I'm going to do this. All because of what he believed. Not because of what he felt. Not because of the experience. Not because of the situation. The situation didn't change. It was dark. It was bad. It couldn't have been worse. But through that, God transformed him. And through that, God can transform us. We need to have that perspective. I want my life to look more like that. I want our lives as living stones to look like that. 
that because of what I know, I'm going to rejoice. The very beginning, that's what he says. Because I know this, I'm rejoicing. Look at verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know. For my life is Christ. That's what I want for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. God, that you have placed your Holy Spirit within us. And the Lord, through your Holy Spirit, we would understand your word to us. That is, Elvis, share with us last week, Lord, that you've given us your spirit to guide us and to bring to remembrance everything that you've told us, to bring to remembrance your word. And God, I pray that as we come to your word, that we would be quick to listen. And we'd be slow to speak, Lord. God, that because we know that you are good, because we know that you are holy, because we know that you love us, Lord, that we would submit to your word. Lord, that you would give us your perspective. That we'd be able to interpret our lives, interpret our circumstances, interpret our situations, Father, with your perspective. That we would see things as you see things. And Lord, with full courage, we would have faith to continue and that we would choose others. God, thank you that you're clear with us. God, I, helped, uh, I ask that you would help us to apply that in our lives. This truth, Father, that it would, we would each process it and we would each figure out what this means for us and what you're doing in our lives. And then not just us as individuals, Lord, but what you're doing in us as a body as well. And that we would encourage each other, as Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi, that we would encourage each other to have this perspective. To remember what we know. And respond with faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.